Good morning. It's great to see everybody who's here. We have a wonderful crowd. We have visitors, and that's an answer to our prayers. We have brothers and sisters from Oakdale and from all over, and we're thankful for your presence, and we're grateful. I'm pumped up. I've been wound up. James called me yesterday, and he told me, we're coming tomorrow, and ever since then, I've just been itching, chomping at the bit uh, to get to visit with them and just to worship together uh, today. As we were singing, there was one song, that, one verse that was on my mind, and it's found in Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 8. Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 8 says, For when I spoke, I cried out, I shouted, violence and plunder, because the word of the Lord was made to me, a reproach and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. To introduce our thoughts this morning, I want to read a little story. You guys know I love stories. In the year of 1161, an heir to the kingdom of Jerusalem was born, Baldwin IV. Baldwin IV is known as being one of the most interesting and intriguing figures of the 12th century. At the time of his birth, Jerusalem was under the rule of the Franks, perhaps better known as the Crusaders. This was a group of people who came from Western Europe who believed they were doing God's will by removing the Muslims from Jerusalem in the name of Christ. As a boy, Baldwin IV was trained and schooled as any other noble child of the time. His lineage came with the expectation that he would become a great warrior and leader like his ancestors before him. Around nine years old, Baldwin's father sent him to one of the most educated men in the Crusader states, a tutor by the name of William of Tyre. William of Tyre was also a historian and eventually became the Archbishop of Tyre. Under William's tutelage, Baldwin learned about God, history, and warfare. But during this time of tutoring, something unimaginable, something unthinkable occurred. One day, William of Tyre observed that Baldwin appeared to have no feeling in his right hand and arm. This observation would become the turning point in young Baldwin's life. Through the young boy's loss of feeling, it was discovered that he had the early symptoms of leprosy. The early symptoms of leprosy. Leprosy, also known as Hansen's disease, is a contagious disease that affects the skin, the mucous membranes, and nerves, causing discoloration and lumps on the skin, and in severe cases, disfigurement and deformities. This was a life-changing, a life-altering discovery for the young boy. Baldwin's father kept the disease a secret from the public, fearing what would happen to his son. Those who had leprosy were often ostracized by society. In the Middle Ages, leprosy was highly stigmatized, and society often segregated infected people from the general population for their entire life. For four years, Baldwin's father kept the matter a secret. 
But at the age of 13, Baldwin's father died. And at the age of 15, Baldwin IV ascended to the throne. As Baldwin got older, his condition grew worse and worse. This is a picture of King Baldwin set out for battle. As you look at the picture, it seems rather normal. Like any other king, he's got his giddy-up from top to bottom. He's covered. He's got his face covered. He's got his armor. But you might be surprised to learn that this was actually his everyday wardrobe. Every day, he wore a covering from his head to his feet. He covered his face and he covered his hands because his disease was so contagious. It was flesh-eating and it could spread to other people. This mask was not something he just wore for war. He wore it every day. And in a recent movie back in the early 2000s, The Kingdom of Heaven, that's what the movie's called, they gave an artist's depiction of what his face could have looked like. And behold, the face behind the mask. Leprosy was a defeating disease. It was a destructive disease. It would change your face. It would change your body. You would lose your nose. Your ears would get sucked down. Your eyes would get sunk in. You could lose your hands. You could lose your feet. And now you understand why he covered himself. Throughout all of history, King Baldwin has been one of the most important figures of all time. He's not remembered for the victories he had. He's not remembered for defeating the Muslims. He's remembered as the leper king. Despite everything good that he's done, he is the leper king. He is only known for having this flesh-eating, ugly disease. But this morning, we're not going to talk about the leper king, King Baldwin. We're going to talk about the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 2, John the Baptist, he's in prison. He already learned that Jesus was the Messiah, and now he's discouraged. He's having second thoughts, and he asks the question, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus said, go and tell John these things, the things which you hear and see, the lepers are cleansed. Jesus Christ is the leper king. He is the one who had the power over it to heal those who had it. And for just a little while this morning, we want to learn about one occasion in which Jesus healed a leper. Jesus Christ, the leper king. And our study is going to come from Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. In Luke chapter 5 and verse 12, the Bible says, And it happened when he was in a certain city, that behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus. And he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, the gospel teaches us that there was one occasion in which Jesus encountered a leper. It doesn't tell us when. It doesn't tell us where. It really doesn't even matter the setting of this story. The subject is what matters. This man, Luke says, was full of leprosy. Luke gives this subtle but very needed detail because he's a physician. He is the only gospel writer who comes from a medical background. And he says that this man was in the advanced stages of leprosy. 
He had it bad. You could picture him like King Baldwin. His face is probably deformed. He's probably got nubs, nubs for hands. And he's probably lost some toes, lost some fingers, and his life is ruined. One scholar said, you can not only see lepers because of their physical disease, you could also hear them because the disease would cause their voice to become hoarse. They couldn't talk. And he went on to add, you could even smell them. Because the flesh-eating disease, it had a strange odor, and it would affect all of the senses. This man likely has this advanced stage of leprosy. But for just a little while, what's going to be very important for us to appreciate what Jesus does, we need to understand and unpack all of the multifaceted nature of leprosy. And most importantly, we need to see and learn that leprosy is to the physical body what sin is to the spiritual body. Leprosy is a picture of sin. Here's what we mean. Number one, leprosy is a universal problem. It doesn't matter if you're black, if you're white. It doesn't matter if you're from America, if you're from Antarctica. It doesn't matter if you're rich or if you're poor, if you're a man or you're a woman. Leprosy can affect everybody. Nobody is safe from it. And I honestly, it's one of the few times when I was studying, I got scared reading this commentary because I learned, for whatever reason, in the back of my mind, I thought leprosy was done away with. It's actually still around. It's heavily prevalent in countries like India and Africa. Now, leprosy is something that can affect us all. Sin is the same way. It doesn't matter your background, how wealthy, it doesn't matter whatever. Sin is universal. It's something we all have to face. Secondly, we learn that leprosy was an inward disease. Yeah, you saw leprosy on the outside. You could see the flesh, the deformities, but the real problem was under the surface. That's exactly how sin is. Sin is not an inward disease, it's an inward desire. Sin is an inward desire. It originates in the heart and mind. You only know it's there when it comes out through our actions. Jesus said this, in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 17, Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Sin originates in the heart and mind. It's a desire. It is not a disease. It's a desire. Now with this, we also need to note, leprosy was a painless disease. Now that might be surprising. A guy with a face like that, like the movie depicted, you would think that was extremely painful. Not necessarily. Leprosy did not hurt your body. It wore off the, your nerve endings. So you actually didn't feel anything. It's known as the painless disease. The painless disease. 
And you might be thinking, a painless disease? I'll buy that. I got so much pain, I would pay for that. Or we go through this, we go through that. We would love to not feel anything. But that's not true at all. There was a doctor, before we read this quote, Dr. Paul Brand, he spent over 50 years of his life helping those who had leprosy. And he spent about 25 years in India. He spent about 25 years in England. And he spent another 25 years in America. And what he learned was rather interesting. He stated that in America, we have the best circumstances to cater to those who are experiencing pain. We got the best facilities. We got the best care. We got the best hospitals. We got therapists. Yet we are more traumatized by pain than any other country. We are more traumatized by pain, and we hate pain more than any other country. Here's what he said about pain after all of his years of work. I now regard pain as one of the most remarkable design features of the human body. And if I could choose one gift for my leprosy patients, it would be the gift of pain. In fact, a team of scientists I directed spent more than a million dollars in an attempt to design an artificial pain system. We abandoned the project when it became abundantly clear we could not possibly duplicate the sophisticated engineering system that protects a healthy human being. So did this man who spent his whole life studying this disease and helping those, he understand pain is a blessing. Pain is a blessing. Now you still might be thinking, how in the world could it be a blessing? I want to share a story he writes in his book. The book is titled The Gift of Pain. He says this, there was a young girl who was taken to, this, to his facility. She was about four years old. Her name is Tanya. And he describes this encounter or this visit in the following words. A cloud of tension hung in the air between the little girl and her mother. But I noticed that Tanya seemed eerily unafraid. She sat on the edge of the padded table and watched impassively as I began to remove blood-soiled bandages from her feet. Testing her swollen ankle, I found that the foot rotated freely in all directions, the sign of a fully dislocated ankle. When I unwrapped the last bandage, I found grossly infected ulcers on the soles of both feet. Ever so gently, I probed the wounds, probed the wounds, glancing at Tanya's face for some reaction. She showed none. The probe pushed easily through soft necrotic tissue, and I could even see the white gleam of bare bone. Still no reaction from Tanya. She couldn't feel pain. She didn't know that something was wrong. Four years old, little girl, the parents could literally touch bone. They could see all the fleshly diseases on her that began to develop and listen to what the mother said during the visit. I'll never forget the first time I realized she had a serious problem. Tanya was 17 or 18 months old. Usually I kept her in the same room with me, 
But that day I left her alone in her playpen while I went to answer the phone. She stayed quiet, and so I decided to begin dinner. For a change, she was playing happily by herself. I could hear laughing and cooing. I love that word. I smiled to myself, wondering what new mischief she had gotten into. A few minutes later, I went into Tanya's room and found her sitting on the floor of the playpen, finger-painting red swirls on the white plastic sheet. I didn't grasp the situation at first, but when I got closer, I screamed. It was horrible. The tip of Tanya's finger was mangled and bleeding, and it was her own blood she was using to make those designs on the sheets. She couldn't feel pain. You know how babies are. They bite their finger, they teeth. Ellie and I were talking, the Odells and I were talking last week, did you know a human being has the jaw power or strength to bite off a finger, but there is a sense in the nerves that keeps human beings from biting off their fingers. She didn't feel that. So she literally bit off her finger and started playing in her own blood. She could not feel the pain. It got to a point for a year, the parents, they tried to convince her fingers are not for biting. They're not for eating. And she would laugh and she would threaten them. If she wanted to play outside, she'd just go and she would get the parents to do whatever because they did not want her to hurt herself. After about a year, the father said, we have begotten a monster. If you don't send her to a psych ward, I'm leaving. And he left. He abandoned his family because of her problem. The reason why we get into all this is this. Pain is one of the greatest blessings God has given to us. He has given us nerves to feel physical pain. And He's given us a conscience to feel spiritual shame. He has given us a conscience to feel spiritual shame. Here's what the Bible says. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, and verse 2, there are some Christians... They have their own conscience seared with a hot iron. They don't feel anything. They sin. They don't feel bad. They're not sorry, and they just keep on sinning. Yesterday, a brother called me, and he said, I'm having a hard time stopping doing this sin. And I said, it's obvious why you don't stop doing this sin. It's because you don't feel bad. You don't feel anything. It doesn't matter what leaders in the church you can talk to, it doesn't matter how much you respect them, if you don't feel bad about doing it, you're never going to stop. There are some Christians, they don't feel spiritual shame that comes with sin. They're not hurt by it. In Ephesians, Paul says, there are some Christians, they are past feeling. Sin's just a part of everyday life. It doesn't hurt them. It doesn't affect them. And you know what? This was a problem even in the Old Testament. God said this in the book of Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 15 and chapter 8 and verse 12, they both say the same thing. They say this. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No. They were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. They didn't know how to blush. They, didn't, they forgot they were supposed to feel bad. 
They, for, they forgot they were supposed to be ashamed and embarrassed of their sin. And you know what? The same thing happens today. The same exact thing. There are Christians, I say this sarcastically, one of my favorite replies whenever I talk about the Bible with someone is they say, I don't think there's a problem with this. Like that, like who cares what you think? It doesn't really matter. The question is, is it right or wrong? Not how you feel. Because just because you do something and don't feel bad doesn't mean there's nothing wrong. That could be an indictment on yourself that you have surpassed feeling your conscience. So I don't think this is a sin. That is the laziest excuse I've ever heard. It's not going to cut it. We better know what's a sin and what's not. Because with sin comes shame, the pain, the gift from God. We learn again that leprosy is contagious. The Bible talked about leprosy in depth in the Old Testament. In Leviticus chapter 13 and verse 45, the Bible says, Now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare. And he shall cover his mustache and cry, Unclean, unclean. He shall be unclean. All the days he has the sore, he shall be unclean. He is unclean, and he shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. You want to talk about COVID and quarantine? This existed in the Old Testament. This is the verse. This is the first face covering. God said, you got leprosy? Cover your mouth. You got to tell everybody, I'm unclean. Don't come near me. In fact, the Jewish rabbis, they had a saying, there was one rabbi, he boasted. He said, I throw rocks at the lepers so they stay away. There was another rabbi who would not dare buy an egg in the market if there was a leper within 100 feet. So to be around a leper was not good. They imposed quarantine in the Old Testament. They imposed this because leprosy is contagious. And the individual was forced to leave his friends and his family their entire duration that they had leprosy. It was a life-changing, a life-altering disease. Like leprosy, sin spreads. Sin can spread. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 6, your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little, little leaven leavens the whole lump? Sin can spread in the congregation just like how leprosy was contagious. When you get close to someone, their sinful actions and behaviors, I don't know why I can't, can't say that, their sinful actions and behaviors wear off and they can influence us. And we can be led astray by someone else's sins. Second to last, I believe, leprosy is isolating and humiliating. Yes, leprosy was painless. You couldn't feel it. The nerve endings were broken down. You literally didn't feel physical pain. It was emotionally taxing. It was emotionally taxing. Your whole identity became unclean. I am unclean. No one can be around me. I can't even hang out with my friends and my family. It's ruined my entire life. I am basically the walking dead. I'm just waiting to die. It was humiliating. 
It was isolating. And the same can be true with sin. Sin isolates us from our brethren in the house of God and destroys families. But lastly, leprosy was seemingly incurable. Leprosy was seemingly incurable. The Jews, they had this way of thinking that it was easier to raise a man from the dead than to heal a leper. This attitude, it's talked about in 2 Kings 5 and 7. The king of Israel said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? He basically says, This is impossible. Only God can heal lepers. And you know what only God can do? Forgive sins, Luke 5 and 21. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus blasphemed, they thought. But what this leper found out, what he came to believe and to realize, he was in the presence of the one who could heal leprosy and who could forgive sins. And the story picks up. It's a lot to explain half a verse, but uh, yeah. The Bible says in verse 12, Behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus, and he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. This man, he runs to Jesus, he falls down before Jesus, he begs Jesus, he says, If you want to, you can. He didn't doubt Jesus' ability to heal. He questioned Jesus' willingness to heal. And this is the exact attitude we need to have when we pray. When I pray, when we pray, I tell God exactly what I want. I'll spell it out in great detail, but then you know what Jesus taught us to say? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. This man was so humble. He had such great faith. He even accepted if Jesus didn't want to heal him. That's the kind of faith we need to have. When we pray to God asking for something, and he says no, and we're okay with that. Because God knows what's best. Men think they know what's best. But regardless, this man says, if you want to, you can heal me. I trust in you. Watch what Jesus says. Then he put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing. I am willing. Be cleansed. Immediately, the leprosy left him. Jesus shows the greatest level of love. With a touch, he touches this man. He quite literally touched the untouchable. He touched the man you weren't supposed to touch. He healed the man you weren't supposed to have contact with. He goes out, he demonstrates his love for man. And in a second, he heals a man who had a problem for how many years? Who knows how many years? And he changed his life forever, the healing power of Jesus. And the same is true with us today. In but a second, you can come into contact with the blood of Jesus, and he can change your life forever in the waters of baptism. He can change all of the pains, all of the wounds in our souls, and he can make us whole. He can change us 
forever. I'm thinking of your dad, Dwight. Is there a bomb in Gilead? There is. His name is Jesus. He is the one who can make whole. But we got to pause for a second. Because did you know touching lepers was forbidden in the law of Moses? You could not touch lepers in the Old Testament. So the question is, did Jesus sin by touching this leper? Here's what the law says about touching lepers. Leviticus 5 verse 2, If a person touches any unclean thing, skip down, he also shall be unclean and guilty. Or if he touches human uncleanness, whatever uncleanness with which a man may be defiled, then he shall be guilty. You couldn't touch unclean things because then you'd be defiled and then you'd be unclean. Well, that doesn't talk about lepers. Leviticus 13. Now the leper must cry, unclean, unclean. He is unclean. He is unclean. Jesus touched a man who was unclean. The question is, did Jesus sin? I'm, talk, I'm preaching to the choir. We know the answer is no. But here are some things we need to specify and clarify so that we can better understand this idea. The Bible says Jesus was sinless, Hebrews 4.15. Number two, Jesus showed a high regard for the law throughout his ministry. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, Do not think that I came to destroy the law and the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Jesus is not disregarding the law, because in fact, at the end of this story, he's going to command the man who had leprosy to obey the law of Moses. So we still got the question. How do we reconcile Jesus' actions and the commands found in Leviticus? Some of your pens are, they just got smoke on them. So we'll kind of summarize this. I know this is going to be too quick to write this down. Here's how we know Jesus didn't sin. Jesus is God. And being God, he wrote the law. If anybody knew when the law of Moses was broken, it would have been God. That's why in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 8, Jesus says he calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath. They accused him of breaking the Sabbath, and he said, don't you think the one who made the Sabbath would know the rules about it? The same lesson is to be applied here in this story. The basis of the command, number two, the big deal was not touching. The big deal was spreading. Spreading the disease. Touching was just how the disease was spread. How the disease was spread. The reason why Jesus never risked breaking the command is because he had the power, his power over-influenced the ability to be defiled. The command was only written for humans who were susceptible to becoming unclean. Jesus' holiness overpowered all sin, wickedness, and uncleanness. Lastly, you could even argue the man wasn't a leper when Jesus touched him. Because he was immediately cleansed. There was no risk in this. Jesus could have healed him any way he wanted. So the question is, why touch the man who was not supposed to be touched? And here are the last three points we're going to have of our lesson. The touch of Jesus communicates compassion. Compassion. 
there's two fundamental elements of compassion. It's common passion. The Oxford Dictionary defines it as sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of others. In fact, if you want to study one emotion throughout the ministry of Jesus, compassion comes up maybe one of the most, the most amount of times. It comes up at least 14 times in the Gospels. And the Bible teaches us the reason why Jesus touched this man, Mark 1 and verse 41, then Jesus moved with compassion stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Compassion is feeling what other people feel. That's the only way we can love our neighbor as ourself. When something bad happens to you or to you or to whoever, I am to respond as if this happened to me. One of the things I love most about Wade, one of the things I love most about Wade is that every time I tell him good news, he rejoices as if the good news happened to him. And every time I tell him some bad news, he weeps as if the bad news happened to him. One of my favorite things about Wade is one of the things I hate about myself. Because I'll be honest with you, that's very hard for me to relate or to sympathize or to empathize with someone else. And I think that might be the case for most of us. Our world, the kids have a saying, we're the main character. So it's easy to just think about my problems, my worries, to forget about other people but Jesus had compassion. When others hurt, he hurt. When others cried, he cried. He felt what others felt. And that's how we are to be as Christians. 1 Peter 3 and verse 8, the bottom verse, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous. Jesus, you guys seen those commercials? He gets us. He gets us. He understands what it feels like to be a man. So much so the Bible says in Hebrews 4 and 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. He gets us because he's felt what we're going through. The, praise be to God, the only difference is he didn't sin. He gets us. That's how he can have compassion. Secondly, the touch of Jesus communicates a desire for connection. A desire for connection. The Greeks, they thought that God, if they believed in God, they thought, the philosophers thought, God doesn't really care about us. He made us and he's just off in a corner somewhere in the galaxy. He just doesn't care. That's completely contrary to the God of the universe and what the Bible says. The Bible teaches God is a personal God. He desires a relationship. That's why he sent his son. Jesus came down so that we could go up. 
Jesus died so that we could live. Jesus was sinless so that he could die for the sinful. Jesus was wounded so that we could be healed. The Bible teaches it is an essential aspect of Jesus' mission that he became a man. The Bible says in Hebrews 2 and 17, Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren, like a human, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest and things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Because he's a man, he became a man, he can be merciful, he can be compassionate. He can feel what we feel. And because he became a man, he can become our middleman. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Jesus came to earth so he could be the middleman. When God, when we see Jesus, we see God. But when God sees Jesus, he sees us. So Jesus quite literally is the bridge from earth to heaven. And that's why he had to come down. Jesus desires connection. Here's the final quote I want to read from this book. You see, the touch of leprosy would have been extremely important for this leper. It would have meant a lot to him that Jesus touched him. Here's what Dr. Brand says in his book. A few months after we opened the unit in India, I was examining the hands of a bright young man, trying to explain to him in my broken Tamil that we could halt the progress of the disease and perhaps restore some movement to his hand, but we could do little about his facial deformities. I joked a bit, laying my hand on his shoulder. Your face is not so bad. And it shouldn't get any worse if you take the medication. I just got to stop. That is the worst thing you could say to someone whose face is messed up, is to make that joke. I, and I'm not a therapist, but I know that. The Bible said, or excuse me, this quote goes on to say, I expected the boy to smile in response. But instead, he began to shake with muffled sobs. He began to start crying. Have I said something wrong? I asked my assistant in English. Yes. Did he misunderstand me? She quizzed him in a spurt of Tamil and reported, No, doctor. He says he is crying because you're, you put your hand around his shoulder. Until he came here, no one had touched him for many years. The touch of Jesus... Put yourself in that leper's place. You know how many, who knows how many years he went without a hug. He went without just feeling someone's hand. That his mom didn't get to kiss him. He didn't get to hug his grandma. And Jesus reaches his hand out and heals him immediately. Jesus touched the untouchable. He wants a relationship with those who seem hopeless and hopeless. Jesus wants 
a relationship with you and me, spiritual lepers, the people who everybody would have given up on, who had given up on, but Jesus did not. Jesus did not. Lastly, the touch of Jesus communicates. It establishes communication. To finish the story, Mark's account says, in verse 43, And he strictly warned the leper and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Jesus said, yeah, this miracle, don't tell anybody. You are forbidden from sharing this with anybody. You can't tell anybody. Instead, I want you to go down to Jerusalem. I want you to go down and obey the law of Moses. What Moses said in Leviticus chapter 14, go do that stuff. Go present yourself to the priests, make a sacrifice for your sin, and then they can pronounce you as clean. Jesus cared about the law. He taught others to obey the law when it was still in effect. Not to read this quote, I'm going to summarize this. Why would he tell the man, don't tell anybody? That seems like the last thing you'd want to do. That seems backwards. If I had leprosy, I'm telling everyone. Here's why. This man, his actions were going to speak louder than his words could ever. Go down to Jerusalem for eight days. You're going to be a silent preacher. You're going to present yourselves to these priests who don't know me, and if they do know me, they don't believe in me. And when they look at you, they inspect you, and they say, yeah, you're good. You're unclean. How'd this happen? You could tell them Jesus did it. You just indicted yourself. You guys who don't believe, it was he who healed me. And you guys were the ones to tell me I was unclean. You can't go against this, or else you contradict yourselves. You expel yourselves. You indict yourselves. That's why Jesus said, don't go and tell, go and show. Because showing is the best form of telling. The greatest sign that you are living and I am living a changed life, I don't care about whatever you're going to tell me. I'm in the business, show me. The brother yesterday that called me, he said, I'm sorry about this sin. I said, I'm not in the tell me business. I'm in the show me business. You better prove you're sorry. People who are sorry for sinning don't keep on doing the same sin. We have to change our lives like this man. But here's how the story ends. Mark 1 and 45, however, he went out and began to proclaim it freely. He didn't listen. And he spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places. And they came to him from every direction. Luke 5 and 16 ends with saying, So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. This guy doesn't listen to Jesus. He goes, he calls an audible, and he says, You told me not to tell anyone, I told everyone. I did the complete opposite. You would think Jesus would say, Good job. You did it. Job well done. This didn't help Jesus. This hindered him. Because this man went and told everybody, 
it ruined Jesus' plans in the city. We'll never find out what Jesus was going to do in this place because he wasn't allowed to do whatever he wanted to do because this man didn't obey. And it was so crazy, people started going to Jesus from all, every direction. They go to him in the wilderness. This ruined Jesus' plan so much, he prayed to God. What do you want me to do next? This guy ruined the plan. You know, we ruin his plan today, but we do the opposite. The man who was told to tell no one told everyone. We're told to tell everyone, we tell no one. We don't tell as many people as we should. When Gary and I, we went knocking doors, the last thing on my mind was that we were going to have a baptism from that. I knew when we were knocking doors, I'm not doing this because this necessarily works. I'm doing this because I'm going to be graded off of my effort. God's going to judge me on my effort, not my batting average. And thankfully, thankfully, how often do you share the good news? We're the ones who are told, go into all the world. Go to every creature, share the good news. If we don't do our part, we ruin God's plan. We ruin Jesus' plan, just like this man did. And the message is simple. Jesus can heal you. He can save you. He can make you whole. He can heal your wounded soul. In a moment. In a moment. I'll leave you with this last verse. In Mark chapter 5 and verse 19, Jesus told the gathering demoniac, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. Maybe you're here today and you have not felt the touch of Jesus. Maybe Jesus has not been a part of your life and you've never obeyed the gospel. The Bible commands that we hear the word we believe in it. We believe that Jesus is the Christ. We repent. We change how we live. We confess that he is the Son of God, and we're baptized, and we come into contact with the loving touch of Jesus. Our sins washed away. Maybe you are here and are a Christian, but have become out of touch. You are out of touch with Jesus. Maybe you're living a life of sin, Maybe you are in a situation you ought not be in. You can feel once again the touch of the Savior, and we would love to pray for you and with you. If there's one of either class, please come while we stand and sing the song of invitation.